kisses of the sun With sweet identity, I let it in my eyes Like an exotic drink, the radio playing songs That I have never heard, I don't know what to say Oh, not another word, just like The song that we did for the prelude this morning was called Christ is Mine Forevermore, and I'm really excited to introduce this song to you guys so that we can all learn it together. This song actually fits a lot in the themes with one of my favorite psalms, which is Psalm 27. This psalm doesn't skip over the hard parts of life. It faces them head on, depicting fear and enemies and abandonment. However, it redirects the reader back to the truth that God is with us. He will never leave us or abandon us, and when we get to heaven, we will see his goodness and how he has worked everything out for his glory. So I'm actually going to read Psalm 27 to you. 
Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Please sing and rejoice in this truth with me. Yeah. 
please pray with me? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to raise our voices to you. We pray that you will be with us always, and we look forward to the day when we will see your goodness in your eternal kingdom and we, when you will make all things new. I pray for Chaplain Lowe as he speaks to us. Bless the word of, with the words of his mouth, and may he be an instrument of praise to you. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. There it is. Uh, I know you've heard it a hundred times, but I'm going to add my welcome. Um, welcome back. It is awesome to see you guys. Uh, this, yeah. I had a chance to watch the uh, convocation and watch the initial chapel um, uh, online. And every student body, freshman through senior, has kind of a, a personality, right? All four. Um, of those classes coming together. And uh, every year, you kind of get a feel early on. And you guys are awesome. <laughs> um, it was super fun watching. I wish I could have been here. I was in California uh, taking my daughter to college. Several, actually, just two of you have asked me, like, why didn't your daughter come here? We moved here when she was in fifth grade from Pasadena, from Southern California. And she said, thank you. Um, and <laughs> it is kind of paradise. She said, uh, I'm going to go back to California for college. And that, she was fifth grade, right? So I assumed that by the time she actually got to college, her mind would shift. She never wavered a bit. So last week, we were there. Yeah, we were there. Uh, and she is <laughs> she's still there, and we're not. Um, uh, one good side to that trip was I got to have in and out for four times in four days. Um, and for those of you who may say, well, I've had in and out it's not that great, the Father forgives you for your immature insolence, and I would be glad to pray for you after chapel and cast any demons that are residing in your soul out. Um, it's so good to be here, honestly. This is so great. It's been way, way, way too long. Um, this morning, we're going to look at uh, a number of chapters uh, in the book of Matthew that sort of create an overall narrative. Um, we're going to um, set it up by just talking a little bit about the Beatitudes in chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus um, teaches really what is the most profound moral teachings in all of history, um, where he reveals the heart of God himself over this course of three chapters. And it ends with a call from Jesus to be a wise builder, to be someone who actually hears his words and puts them into practice. And then in chapters 8 through 11, you have these very intimate accounts of Jesus' miracles. Um, and his miracles form really a story. They form this narrative of revelation. Through the miracles, he begins to reveal who he is. Um, there are different responses, different reactions. But at the end of that revelation is insight into the very heart of Jesus. And when scripture talks about the heart of Jesus, scripture is talking about the very core of what motivates our Savior. It's really, if you will, kind of the why of Jesus. There is nothing more important than not just understanding Jesus, but actually knowing him. And as you sit here this morning, the Father is calling you to something deeper. 
The Father is calling you to deeper reliance. The Father is calling you to deeper relationship. And the Father is calling you to deeper love. And I'm convinced for that to happen, you have to know the heart of Jesus. Um, you know, you, you live here. Some of you may be new. Some of you may have been here for a while. Um, we live in a context that is in some ways just full of blessing. We live in a country that has religious freedom. We live in the South, which is, is culturally, in some ways, uh, culturally Christian. Um, we go to a Christian college, so we have Christian community here. Um, those things are, are wonderful and beautiful and great blessings from the Father. Uh, but sometimes, as many of you may know or will find out, it can be kind of hard to wade through some of the stuff, both good and bad, and actually get to the person of Jesus himself. So let's pray, and we're going to jump into his word. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for the sweet, sweet privilege of being together. Um, let us not take it for granted. And thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in and through it. Thank you, Lord, that we might know your very heart. May it change ours. We pray in Jesus' name and through the power of his spirit. Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to run through uh, chapters 8 through 11 and look at the miracles that take place there. And what I'd like you to do as we move through these is I want you to hear and watch the unfolding of the narrative and the revelation that Jesus brings through the miracles. So it starts off with Jesus encountering a leper. The very first miracle begins to turn the world a little bit upside down. This leper comes and bows down before Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he healed him. And it's hard for us to understand the full impact of this, both culturally and personally. Culturally, as a leper in the first century, he is ritually unclean. He is unable to worship. He's unable to go to the temple. And anyone that comes in contact with him is also considered unclean. He's also a human. He's a man. And people don't touch lepers. So he doesn't have the touch of those who love him. And here, Jesus... The leper before him reaches down and he touches the man. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the unclean is made clean by the touch of Jesus. Well, then Jesus encounters a centurion. A centurion comes before him. His centurion's servant is sick. And the centurion says, look, I know what it is to be a man of authority. I'm a Gentile, I'm in the Roman army, um, but I know that if you say the word, my servant will be made well. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this. He says, let me tell you something. He says, there is a banquet that is coming. And he says, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And here he's talking about the messianic banquet. He's talking about the very end, the consummation of the messianic kingdom. And he's saying, there are descendants of Abraham. In other words, there are those who will be saved and will, who will come to the messianic banquet in heaven that's much wider and broader than you know. They're the descendants of Abraham, not by blood, but by faith, like the faith of this centurion. 
Well, then Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever. Um, very sweet scene. Um, and then Jesus heals demon-possessed people. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And Jesus drove out the spirits with a word and he healed the sick. And scripture says that this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And that passage from Isaiah is in the passages of the suffering servant. We're beginning to get a picture of who this is. Jesus has power over disease. He has power over demons. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And then uh, Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat on the lake and a huge storm comes up. The, the waves are scooping over the, the bow of the boat. The disciples are afraid for their lives. Jesus is asleep. They wake him and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and it all calms. And it brings them to a question. And the question that they ask is, what kind of man is this? We're watching, we're seeing. What kind of man is this? And then as if to answer the question, we have an encounter where a number of friends bring a paralyzed man on a mat. And they bring the mat, they, they work to get the mat down onto the ground in a house. And Jesus is there. And Jesus says to the man something that's very unexpected. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees that are there, the people, they freak out a little bit like, no one has the right to forgive sin except God himself. And Jesus knows their thoughts. And he says to them, I know what you're thinking, but so that you know that I have the authority to forgive, to forgive sin, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. And the man picks up his mat and walks. Picture begins to come into focus. He makes the clean unclean. He reveals the nature of the heavenly banquet. He's fulfill, fulfilling the prophesied mission of the suffering servant in Isaiah. He has authority over demons and nature and he forgives sin. He's the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And then seemingly to confirm that, there's a synagogue leader's daughter who has died. And it's actually a very similar picture to the first one that we looked at. The leper came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, and Jesus was willing. And now the synagogue ruler's daughter is dead and he comes and he bows down before Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter has died, but if you're willing, Lay your hand on her and she'll live. And Jesus raises a girl from the dead. He has authority over all of these things, including death itself. And then John the Baptist, who's in prison, he's not getting to see all that's happening, but it's taking time. And he wonders, I, I, I know, I, I, I baptized you. I saw the heavens open. I know who you are, but, but are you the one? And Jesus sends word back to John and he simply says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. And we too, as we look at these miracles, right? We hear and we see Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the son of living God. He's God himself in flesh with authority over sickness and disease and sin and demons and even death. And then the stage is now set for the end of the narrative. And the end of this narrative is, is fantastic. You know this, right? The, the end of a story can make an already amazing story that much better. It can also crush what was an amazing story. Um, I hope 
and trust that all of you have seen every season of The Office, yes? Okay, so the, the series finale of The Office was nearly perfect, right? Um, it just made everything that had happened just more beautiful, right? Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to show this, but I'm going to. Because there are, there are also ends to stories that can make things really bad. So I was like, I was kind of thinking through, like, what would be a terrible ending to the, to the Gospels? Like, to the Gospel of Jesus. And I was like, and I didn't mean to do this, and I'm so sorry, Lord. But um, here's, here's what happened in my brain, right? So I'm picturing Jesus on the cross, and I'm not going to do my arms because that's not good. But I'm, I'm going to. Um, so... I'm picturing Jesus on the cross, and, and he's about to give up his, his, his spirit. And then, and this is like the bad movie version, right? Then, like, he raises his head, and he breathes deeply. And you can see the power returning to him. And he looks at his hands, and he, like, the nails start to pull out of his hands. And then they're floating in the air. And then he, like, with just a flick of his wrist, he shoots the nails at the two centurions at the bottom of the cross. And they, like, impale him, and they die. And then Jesus like, and then he like floats down from the cross and picks up his tunic and puts it on. And then he starts to glow in power and glory. And everyone that's looking at him, that's been mocking and jeering him, not his disciples, all of them, their faces start to melt off like they did in, in, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Now, now, that's really bad. Uh, and that is not consistent with the gospel. But you can see how the ending of the story, like, matters kind of a lot, right? So the matter of this narrative matters. <laughs> I hope this isn't, shouldn't be recorded. Uh, <laughs> so the narrative so far has revealed Jesus' authority and his identity. We know what he has authority over because we know who he is. But now Jesus is going to reveal to us his heart. He's going to reveal the motives. He's going to reveal the very core of his being. The why. And it starts with an invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And this, this is an invitation that I think is better with fewer words. But I just want to draw a picture for you. When I think of this, I think of a grandfather... Um, opening his, his arms and saying to a child, come to me. And the child comes and places his hand in the hand of his grandfather. And grandfather takes his hand and walks side by side with the child. Now that is not overly sentimental. Scripture portrays us and calls us to be like children and to come to our heavenly father. So imagine the Heavenly Father beckoning you, come, come to me, take my hand, walk with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, come. And who is Jesus inviting? He's inviting the weary and the burdened. Now in the first century, the Jews were particularly weary and burdened under the weight of the law that the Pharisees had placed upon them. Rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. What it meant to be holy, what it meant to be righteous, what it meant to be clean. What you had to do in order to be right with God. But the invitation is to everyone carrying more than they can bear. The daily reality that weighs you down and spe specific circumstances that crush you. 
I don't have to elaborate what that means because that is all of us. Frederick Buechner says, we all labor and are heavy laden under the burden of being human or at least being on the way we hope to being human. Loneliness, anxiety, depression, leaving home for college, dropping your daughter off at college. Proverbs says that a man's spirit can endure sickness, but a troubled spirit who can bear. There are times when there's simply too much, and then there are times when circumstances push us to the border of hopelessness. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And I want you to think less here of physical laid-down type rest and more of like hobbits in the presence of Aragorn rest, like Piglet taking the hand of Pooh rest. And we're going to talk about that more in just a second. Um, but the suggestion, it, it hits us, right? Because we know that's us. And we know that's at the very deepest core, what we desire is that rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and trade your yoke for mine. Because here's the reality. If you keep your yoke, it will kill you. You can't do it. Learn from me, though. My yoke is easy and it leads to life. It leads to actually living. And what I'd like to do is maybe offer a, an altered version um, for you, a, a shifted visual metaphor of the yoke. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard perhaps ad nauseum about, about uh, the yoke. The yoke is that which goes on the oxen, around the oxen's neck, and the oxen can then pull the, um, the plow behind it. And I think sometimes we tend to think of that when we hear, take my yoke, we think the yoke of Jesus. Um, but, but don't do that. Instead, what I'd like to encourage you to do is imagine that you are washed and you're given a clean linen robe and when it's put on you, it makes the yoke that you're bearing crumble, turn to dust and fall to the ground. And you're able to stand and breathe and see clearly and face the world boldly, all because of what Jesus is about to say. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the heart of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior, and our King and friend. And again, when we talk about the heart here, we're talking about the center of who he is, what defines and directs him, what motivates all that he does, the heart of God. He says, I am gentle. And that word gets translated differently in the New Testament, meek, humble, gentle. But I think with Jesus, what we want to do is we want to hold on to and just explore this idea of meekness for one second. See, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is chosen humility. It is chosen giving up of self. It is chosen lowering of self. But it is always motivated by love. That's what it means for Jesus to be gentle. It means that he chooses to be humble because of his love for us. He says, I am gentle and lowly. This idea of Jesus being lowly 
He who created and sustains the world by his word is lowly. The Westminster Confession talks about it, talks, calls it the humiliation of Christ. He's lowly because he was born as a man. He was born in a low condition. He was born under law. He experienced the miseries of life. He experienced the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross. He was buried. God was buried. And he was under the power of death for a time. Gentle, meek, humble, willing, understanding, inviting. This is the heart of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke. Learn from me. My yoke is burdened. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in my heart, and that's what motivates me. And you will find rest for your souls. And the rest that he offers, the rest that he offers is rest for our very innermost person. Now hear this. It's not an alleviation of circumstances. It doesn't make hard things go away. Instead, he gives us the strength to walk through those hard things. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not evil, for you are with me. A quiet soul, a peaceful soul, because of what we're anchored to and because of the one who is walking with us. Now guys, the reason that this is so essential is because the day is coming, and it's probably better to say that the days are coming. Um, they may even be here now for you when you can't do it by yourself anymore. You can't fix it. You don't have the answers. And you're pushed to a place where hopelessness feels like the norm. You need to know Jesus. Not know about him. Not understand theology not know right theological answers. You need to know the person of Jesus himself because you will come to that point in time where you have no one else to turn to, where the words of your brothers and sisters fall flat, where when people try to love you and lift you up, you still feel stayed and broken. You need to be able to turn to Jesus. And if you don't know him, it's so, so hard to turn to him. Jesus is motivated by love, a gentle and humble heart. Dane Ortland says that he moves towards, he touches, he heals, he comforts and forgives those who least deserve, yet truly desire it. Jesus is our rest here in the world to come. And rest really is simply this, rest is when um, you place your hope rightly. And if you're gonna place your hope, you have to know the one in whom you're placing your hope. There's only one thing that is required of you, only one. It's not about being righteous, it's not about being good. You simply have to desire it. You simply have to come and say, Lord, are you willing? And we know that he is. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Amen. Let's pray. Father, to think that we have a savior like Jesus is mind-boggling. That we don't have to walk alone and that when we uh, encounter that in life, which is more than we can bear, we can turn to him. He invites us and calls us, takes our hand and walks with us, places a robe upon us and calls us righteous because he gives it to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us one thing, give us desire, that we might come to you humbly and that you might reveal yourself to us fully. Please, Lord, help us to know rest for our souls because we know your son and our savior, Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Thank you.